Hey everyone, welcome to Our Folklore, a fashion, art, culture, and design podcast brought to you by The Folklore. The Folklore is a contemporary e-commerce destination that curates styles from Africa's top luxury and emerging designer brands. We make it easy for customers around the world to discover, order, and receive exclusive and innovative men's and women's apparel, accessories, beauty, and homeware styles from dozens of designers that had previously not been sold online. We also use our platform to elevate the stories of our designers and the creative community that fuels them. My name is Amira Rasul. I am the founder and CEO of The Folklore and the host of this podcast. This is the second episode of season two of Our Folklore. I'm back this week for another great conversation with one of the many interesting and creative people within the folklore's ecosystem. As you already know, we love to shine a spotlight on the stories of the designers, artists, producers, and entrepreneurs that are successfully doing their thing in the creative industry and in their communities. And, you know, from that, we're bringing the vibes, you know, we are... Um, bringing some sort of inspiration, some sort of light into your week, I'd like to think, anyway. Before we begin, I want to give you the rundown of some things happening with the folklore. So our sale is still going on. You can shop great pieces from brands like Onalaja, Siciano, Orange Culture, and more for up to 55% off now. Yes, I said up to 55% off some of our top brands. It's only for a limited time, so get it while you can. I'm also pleased to share with you some of the great content we have uh, on our editorial site right now. We have artist and writer Stephanie Namani, also known as Tef Theory, who you know, graciously came and starred in our My Folklore uh, editorial series. So you can actually hear her talk about her experience as a creative, um, as a Nigerian creative, also being able to incorporate her culture and the work that she does. So you can check that out in our editorial section. You can also check that out on our YouTube. If you haven't already done so, listen to the last episode that we did with uh, Jenna Worthman and Kimberly Drew on telling the stories of Black creators. We also have a blog post with some excerpts from that interview as well. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by my friend, entrepreneur, founder, and buyer, and just all around badass, Telsha Anderson. She is the founder of TA New York, which is a concept store that's in the meatpacking district. If you're there, you'll definitely see it. It's between all of like the luxury stores, and then you have this black badass woman who just has this store. Um, love to see that. We we actually connected because I saw the press about her store, and I reached out like, girl, you own a luxury store? So do I. Let's be friends. And we've been friends ever since. We actually did a great... Uh, we took over Essence Instagram Live on Thursday, I believe. Uh, you can go on to Essence Instagram right now and see the recording of our chat, but we talked about all things, you know, being a business owner, the finances, all of that good stuff. It was about a 20 minute conversation. So you can go check that out. But let's get back into why we're here. Telsha is joining me today. And I want to give you a little bit more background on Telsha before we start. Before she became a business owner, Telsha did social media at Time Inc. and Hypebeast, consulted with Virgin Records and managed influencers at a PR firm. But she always knew that she wanted to become a fashion buyer. So fast forward a few years after years of research and a trip to Paris, TA New York now stocks a global roster of brands from Peru and South Korea to London and Milan. With TA, Telsha is providing a fresh outlook on luxury living through an expertly curated edit of clothing and lifestyle products. 
In this episode of Our Folklore, I'm joined by Telsha Anderson, the owner and founder of TA Concept Store in New York, to talk about entrepreneurship, her journey into the fashion industry, and being the best influencer for her brand. Thank you for joining me. Really excited about this conversation. Number one, because you're like one of three Black women I know who owns a luxury boutique <laughs> in, in, in the U.S. <laughs> There's like three of us out there. It's you, me, and Sherry McMullen. There might be a few other people out there that I just don't know that are in like um, cities that I just don't yeah. know. Like, out of the people that I, I know and that I've spoken to, it's like bang, bang, like three Black women gang, you know? I know. I didn't realize it was such a small group. I feel like we need to do like a retreat or something, like if that's the case. I think so. Um, (laughs) If anyone's listening to this and wants to like sponsor a retreat for us, like we'll we'll serve the content. We will give that content. (laughs) We will make sure content is created on that retreat. Don't you worry. Why don't you first... Tell us who you are, introduce yourself, um, what's your name, what's your, what's your title, what do you go by? I'm Telsha Anderson. I am the owner and buyer at TA. I am 27 years old, so if I sound 16, I apologize for that. I'm a Black woman, I'm a believer, and I own a luxury boutique in Meatpacking, New York. We house maybe 15 to 20 um, you know, luxury brands from all over, and that includes, let's see, Korea, um, Peru, LA, New York, of course, um, Paris, London. I mean, it's a little bit of everywhere. We have accessories, we have clothing, and um, you know, I graduated from Cuse in 2015, uh, Syracuse, for those who don't know the lingo, and I majored in communications and rhetorical studies and I had two minors which is retail management african-american studies um you know owning a store and being or really being a buyer is what I've always wanted to do um you know I love clothing I love textures and I love conceptualizing ideas and putting them into one space um especially through self-expression which is often outwardly seen for it's inwardly seen so that's of course clothing or hair makeup Yeah, I knew I always wanted to open a store, but when I graduated, there were so many, you know, buyer positions, but none of them were entry level. So funny enough, I just wanted to be in the city regardless of what I was doing. So I became a salesperson for um, part guides. But yeah, so I was selling those and I did that for a year. And then I went to Columbia's publishing program because I was like, I'm actually going to be a writer. <laughs> and then I did that for six weeks, um, which was incredible. But instead of becoming a writer, I did a presentation and a woman who was black, hilariously enough, was working at, um, I forget the name of the, oh, Time Inc. Mm-hmm. And she said there was a social media position open and that I had a, you know, a great eye and I was funny, and which means I could create fun captions. And that was kind of when social media was like booming, like when companies ne- realized the necessity of it. You know, it was around for a while, but it was more so for us to post our cute outfits at college. But around this time, it was, okay, there's a huge necessity around brand development and brand management on digital platforms. Um, and so I went to go work for Food & Wine. What year was that? Maybe 2017. 
2016. But after that, I was at Food and Wine. I went to work at Hype Beast, um, and I worked on their new platform, Hype Kids, as a social media manager. <clears throat> and then I went from Hype Beast to doing consulting for Atlantic Records. So I worked with um, a musician named IVJ, and I helped build her social media for a little while. She was 16 at the time and just got signed. Um, so I went to work with them just on like freelancing, um, you know, trying to figure out what it is I really wanted to do. And then while doing that, I got a new job at this other PR firm and I was a influencer manager there for about nine months. And at the start of that job is when I started to conceptualize TA. Before you get into that though, I want to know like, where did you grow up and like before you even got to Syracuse and picture made yeah. like what type of child were you and, and were you always interested in, in design? That's a good question. I grew up, well, I was born in Akron, Ohio, the same hospital as LeBron James and Steph Curry. So oh, I mean, legends, legends. And then when I was about, <laughs> when I was about maybe like uh, eight, my family moved to Jersey, so we lived there ever since. So, yeah, I was an interesting kid. I think I liked a lot of things that had to do with color, if that makes sense. And I looked, you know, some of my favorite memories are watching my mom get ready or me getting ready and, let, you know, letting or her letting me pick out different outfits or, you know, going to art class or photography class because um, I went to a private school half my life and then. My last two years of high school, I went to a public school, so it was definitely a culture reset and a cultural shock. But uh, regardless of all that, I was able to explore a lot of different things. My parents were really great at, you know, putting me in different programs and putting me in different activities, which allowed me to express, you know, who I was. I don't think I knew I wanted to be in fashion until um, this thing called Nasty Gal launched, which was right before college. So I knew then just because of how interested in I was, like I was interested in the e-commerce and they didn't really have social because it wasn't a thing then yet. But, you know, I was, I think just the options there were, I was like, how does someone like, who gets to pick all this? Like, I think, and I think that's, where, I think that's where my love for buying came from. Like who gets to decide what I wear? Because although it's a decision that like you make when you go to check out, there's someone pre-deciding that for you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's someone like that's a buyer that's like this is what the girls are gonna wear and then you go buy it so i was curious with that but seeing my mom get ready or my grandma or even my dad like was fascinating to me and now we're here yeah and i know you're even the naming of the store was based off of your mom's initials your initials yeah. and your sister's initials as well right yeah it is yeah it's in color Encompassing of all of us, not only our style, but just as black women, you know, like our tenacity and um, it's an ode to them because without them, I wouldn't be here. And it's an ode to even myself for stepping out on faith and doing what it is I'm doing. And it was funny. I wanted to name it so many other things, but somehow I just kept going back to TA. And now we're here. Wonderful. So inspiring. <laughs> Love, it. Love to hear it. This is why I do this podcast. And so now... What actually inspired you to launch TA? Because you were 
I'm from not mistaking you were now uh, consulting for Atlanta. Oh no, you were doing influencer management, right? And you said you had yeah. known you know, maybe maybe since college that you wanted to launch a store. Did you actually have like a timeline in place? Like, well, when I was at school, every fashion week, so it was probably February and September, if I remember correctly, I would ask my teachers for like two or three weeks off. And I would stay at home and just commute into the city and I would do internship work, like free, basically free slave labor, but internship work with different companies during fashion week. And so I got to go to some of the coolest shows and I I just was enamored. And whenever I would walk from Penn Station to where I had to, um, you know, meet up with my team leader, which I think was maybe like on West 23rd Street. I kept walking past this um, abandoned building and it was on the front. It said like retail space for lease. Um, and I took a picture of it. I don't have any more, but um, I just kept looking at it all the time and would walk past it. And I was like, oh, the things I would do in this space. Mm-hmm. And then I think every time I walked past it, like in September or in February for like two years straight, it was still empty. And like, as I grew up, I was like, okay, what would I do in there? Okay, what would I put in there? Oh, what would it look like? Like, what would the colors be? And so there was no timeline. It was more so just, like, a vision um, that was, you know, planted in me. And I just continued to water that vision slowly. Um, and then when I was doing influencer managing, I right before I started, I was like, I want to be in fashion. Like, I want to I dictate not only what I do and where I go for the day, but I want to have influence over, you know, what I see people wearing. And I want to create a space that's so rare. Like I would sneak into opening ceremony during my lunches when I moved to the city and started working full time. Um, And I was just in awe of all the different brands. And I was like, this isn't done a lot. And then similar to the point you made when we first, you know, when the podcast began, there's so there's not a lot of black luxury boutique owners like there's not um and so i was like what the heck and then i was like wait i'm a black woman like if i do this like are you kidding me like that's fucking sick so yeah i think i kind of i think it all just happens like i think when you tell the universe it's similar to what will smith said in an interview when he was talking about the alchemist and he was saying one of my favorite books and he was saying like when you tell the universe what it is that you want like it'll happen yeah and so for me it was like when i you know wrote down what i wanted when i prayed about it when i you know finally was fed up with where i was and fed up with how i was treated as a black woman in the industry and fed up of being one of three people and fed up of people not only you know where i was working not only and this is a little bit of everywhere but not only questioning you know what i'm wearing and why a black woman can carry herself in a certain way because there's so many of us but of course stereotypes tell them otherwise mm-hmm. um you know not only what i'm wearing but how i can afford it so i'm like I'm just over all of this. Like, this is just too much. And I think it was just a breaking point where it's just like, if you want to do something and doors aren't opening for you, there's several reasons that could be, but open a door, create a door, like at this point. So, and I think that's just what I did. And I think I told myself, you're going to be in this industry on your own terms. And, um, you know, I think the people that signed up to support me, whether that be friends or family or friends, um, 
just knew if anyone's going to do it, she's going to do it. So fine. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> I and, think that's kind of how it happened. And I love that you brought that up about, you know, the burnout for black women. Uh, yeah. You know, a lot of times they say, you know, black people were alienated from the fashion industry because we don't come from like, you know, a large majority of black people don't come from certain means where they can afford to do free slavery, basically as interns so that then they don't get the full time jobs because they don't get to make the network and stuff like that. But then there are people who like us, who's, you know, are circumstances allowed us to be able to do, you know, free internships and be able to like commute to the city yeah. and things like that and we still end up being kind of self alienating ourselves from the industry not based off of the fact that we couldn't make those connections and we didn't have access or, or the opportunities it's more so we we did not like the opportunities as they were presented to us so we have a very similar yeah. story where it was just like i was tired of working for these passive aggressive white people who used to touch my hair and yeah. just be straight up oh my god and i was like oh, I, didn't, I, didn't work. I worked for a year and i was like i will never do this again and it was li- it's literally a matter <laughs> of me being me being black and being one of the only black people in this space and seeing how I was treated mm-hmm. and knowing that one, I'm also yeah. somebody who's like good with authority and stuff. So like, I'm not even going to front, but, <laughs> but two, it was, it was also just like, um, I knew that the way that I wanted to live my life and the impact that I wanted to make as a black woman was going to be limited based off of the space that I was in. And, and even though over the past, I would even say few months, the fashion industry has been trying to take more accountability and stuff like that, but that's not, it's not going to be a quick fix. Um, and so it's, it is, it's yeah. crazy to hear that we have a similar experience where it's like, I don't want to do this anymore because I don't like the way that I'm being treated here. Like I thought that this is what I wanted and I worked so hard to get here and yeah. I have the opportunities, yeah. but the way that black women are treated in this industry makes me understand that if I want oh. to really have like, feel autonomous, feel empowered, um, feel important, then mm-hmm. I have to empower myself and, and any other people who I then bring onto my team. Yeah. And you can empower yourself in those positions. Like, you can. And I think for me, I followed all the rules. Like, do I like authority? Not necessarily. But can I figure, can I figure it out and, like, get my shit together? Yeah, sure. And, like, I did that. And I, I was still treated poorly. And I was still taken advantage of. And I still walked in a meeting once. And I had, like, these beautiful twists in my hair. And the whole room looked at me like I walked in with my hair on fire. And I was <laughs> like, and I still have people say, what is that on your head? Like, and I still followed the rules. You know what I mean? Like, I still showed up on time and did my work. And similar to you, it's just, like, you get to a point and you're like, all right. Like, at this point, <laughs> because someone needs to fix it or I'm going to jail. Because this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Like, I can't be treated like this. I can't. And I think our industry tells us that not only, not you know, there's not a lot of black women in high power positions, and kudos to the women that are, 
Um, I think it's amazing. But when you're low on the totem pole, you're told that like, oh, well, there's only one of those positions. And so that's disheartening. And it's, it's sad that that's, you know, we're in 2021. And we're still trying to figure it out. Like, we're still trying to get it together. And there's still missteps. And there's still things that, um, you know, well, I thought they were doing a good job. And then there's like a slip. So it's it's never ending and I'm interested to see how it continues but for me I, I had to get out like mm-hmm. I couldn't do it and I'm I'm blessed to have had the resources to do so um and to have the family to encourage me to do so because I also know that's not a thing for everyone yeah. so I'm very delicate when I do talk about my experience because it is rare mm-hmm. um but in its rarity it's still you know <laughs> It's still rare in its rarity. So, yeah. <laughs> at this point, <laughs> no, I definitely get it. And so, the you you talked about how you kept walking past this store when you were coming mm-hmm. to fashion for Fashion Week. Was that the store that you ultimately ended up renting? No, it's not. I oh, didn't discover so me packing. That would have been so cute. Not a minute story. Girl, if that was the case, I would have found a media site to tell that to quick. I was like, exclusive. Uh, but no, it's not. Um, that space, I mean, coming when I moved to the city, I was like, oh, God, no. Like, I would never do a thing over here. But um, it was more in, like, the – it was, like, in the 20s. So, you know, that's, like, Garment District, which, you know, really nice if you have, like, that type of business. If you don't have that type of business, it does kind of get lost. Um, just because people are, it's like highly packed with also like corporate places. So people aren't really um, leisurely walking. They're more like jetting to the destination. So no, not the space. But um, one thing that is similar is the big windows in front. I knew I wanted that because I wanted to see people and I wanted people to see me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big thing. And then it was concrete floors and I have concrete floors here. So those are similarities. Um, but okay. no, not at all the same. Um, I wonder what, what's happening there though. I'm very curious. Yeah. And so uh, what were the when you decided that you wanted to start it, what type of research did you do? Because I know you said that you uh, had a minor in African-American studies, which was my major. I love people who major or minor in African-American studies. I feel like we get each other, you know, Uh, but you also said you did a minor in retail planning, right? Retail management. Yeah. Um, The research for the store was a was, of course, you know, First, it was seeing if there's a gap in the market, which I tell people because I'm in I'm in grad school too, and that term doesn't always sit right with me because although there's a gap, there's gaps in markets. There could be someone that's doing exactly what you're doing, and you could just do it differently, and that can be your gap. Yeah. Um. So for me, that was kind of my research. Like what, okay, what stores are out there? What luxury stores are out there? Who are the owners? Um, what black owners are there for luxury stores um, in different areas of the city? What's the, hot, what's the foot traffic, especially in the warmer months, because colder months is just what it is, but in the warmer months, what's surrounding different areas? And that, that research was a lot for what area I wanted. Um, and then also, can I have my own autonomy in regards to my music? And because some places you have to like, you know, you're so close to everyone. Like in Soho, for instance, it's like right next door. So you have to be mindful of the store next to you. Um, so for mine was like, 
was that it was also my target audience, of course, who am I targeting? Um, who are, you know, who's our audience, which is, I mean, me, like my audience is me. <laughs> it's not me, but it's women that can relate to what it is that I like. Um, and then also one of the biggest things are what brands are out there that are currently not in New York city in big, mm. you know, in a, amongst other luxury places. So I'm out in between Zimmerman and Marnie and then theories down the corner. Soul houses around the corner, restoration, hardware, Sephora, like it's an amazing area. So in this area, once I finally picked that, the research then shifted to, okay, what brands aren't even in New York? What brands aren't in meatpacking? And what brands do people just not know about outside of digital? Because the digital world is huge. So, yeah, that was kind of the research. Yeah, and so when you, when you went to Paris on your first buying trip, what were some of the things that you were looking for uh, in those designers? Um, what, are there specific you know, elements that you look for uh, stylistically? Is it like also a price point thing? Like what goes into your, your buying process? Um, so for sure, it was a price point thing because to be in this building, I had to have a certain price point just based off who I was around. Um, and I think, you know, landlords can, land, not even landlords, but like communities of New York can dictate what's in their area because they are trying to bring and keep a certain demographic. Um, you know, I think I'm right across from, I think, a multi-million dollar um, apartment building. Like, it's millions of dollars to just live in there. Oh, they, um, they got money. So I think, you know, my price point, of course, had to be over 300 um, There's obviously stuff in here that's lower than that. But the majority had to be, like, over 300 to, like, 1000 just so that when those snooty tooty types do come in or whomever – if they're looking for something specific, they're not thrown off because it's like a $30 necklace. You know what I mean? So that was for starters. Other than that, um, I went for brands that complemented the female body really well. I went for brands that um, stood on their own. So brands who had an identity of which I can identify with as a customer and as a buyer. Um, I went with brands. I even got deeper and went so much with brands who had incredible representatives because the designer isn't always like they're telling you about the brand. Sometimes it's a rep and they're, you know, telling you about the brand and what they like and what they don't like. So I went with representatives who really cared about the brand and cared about the designer and cared about where it would be and cared to let me know about shipping and deliveries because that's also a thing. Um, and who wanted to see me win? I know you shouldn't always go into buying with such like a personal element to it, but that's kind of how I approach life as a whole. So I definitely went with brands who showed me respect when I didn't even have a store. Um, and that wasn't everyone. Paris was really hard because it was my first, I was alone. I didn't under really, I mean, I knew a lot of stuff because it was my minor. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't always welcomed with the op with open arms um, because, like I said, you know, your appearance as a black woman, like, there's no getting past it. Like, I'm black. I got boobs. Like, I'm a black woman. Like, it's just what it is. It's like, and then I look 16. My voice gets really high when I'm nervous. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot of stuff that goes into it. And it's also, you know, I experienced a lot of self-doubt in, in the beginning process because there aren't a lot of us. So 
I didn't really have anyone. I mean, I did have people to look at and be like, okay, this is what they did. This is kind of how, okay, I can kind of get a feel based off their media. Okay. Like I can kind of see based off social media, how they're approaching different things. But there are, when there's not a lot of you, it's while it's, um, encouraging and while it's like a, a boost or a fire under your ass, like there's not a lot of us, let me get out there. It's also, you know, can cause a lot of doubt because it's like, oh, wait, there's not a lot of us, a lot of us in this position. Like maybe that's a reason. Like mm-hmm. maybe you just can't. Like, you know, so I went through a lot of that in Paris. Um, and I was out there alone. So, and I, you know, I knew a lot of people, but they were in the fashion scene and I'm trying to do market week. So while it's at the same time, it's very different. Like yeah. I have to go home and, you know, I have to go home and do a whole buy by the deadline, which is my flight back. So I have to basically look at everything in four nights, less than four nights and make a decision and meet the deadlines. And at the time, because I was new, I wasn't really granted any lenience on like, Oh, you could take a couple extra weeks. Now it's different. Like, Oh, there's just no rush. But at the time I didn't know that. So I'm rushing to get it all done. So that I, I approach stuff well, especially with the store. I mean, it's, it can either be, you know, it's my child, the store, but it's a peek inside my brain, my closet, and my living room. So it's it exposes me a lot, and I think that was not only eye opening but a great business strategy because because I am so exposed. I look for other brands and people that are willing to be exposed as well. And if we can both expose, if we can both cover each other up in that exposure, then that's a good that's a good business to me. Yeah, no, I I completely get it when it comes to the actual recruiting of brands. And I've I've experienced even with pitching to with most of our designers being black that I work with, still not feeling like I was getting responses or the same or the same like reverence that they would have given like a white person. Um, like yeah even my own it's frustrating difficult yeah and to this day there's like people who i know that they're they're not responding to me and it's one of those things of do they not want to be clumped together with other african brands or is it that they just don't think Mm -hmm. i'm important but then i'll see them like responding to other people or or working with other people Mm. um and i mean in my mind that doesn't Mm. give that that doesn't give me any doubt of like oh am i not good enough it's more so, yeah. Come on, I look at them like, all right, brother. If that's how you feel, that's cool. some internalized shit you yeah. got, not me. Especially in this industry. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? So I took a lot of stuff personally, and I had to learn not to do that. And I had to learn, like, it just doesn't, like, maybe I just didn't need that brand in the store, actually. Like, maybe that's just what it is. Like, and that's okay. But it took a while. Of course, it took a while. Yeah. And so what drew you to open the store as a brick and mortar rather than an online shop? Because brick and mortar, the expense of doing that, like I know I wanted to open a brick and mortar. I was like, I ain't got that type of money. I was like, I also don't have that type of time to be set up in nobody's store. Um, I didn't even like work because I actually worked <laughs> at opening ceremony. So I worked at opening ceremony when I was in college. I love it. And so an and open ceremony was a big inspiration for me. So when you mentioned that you used to go there, like I can definitely see how both of us have been able to pull from like, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and thinking about how culture and like heritage and stuff definitely played a role in opening ceremony success and them going after these yeah. designers, unknown designers. And so what, what made you yeah. say brick and mortar is the way that I want to go? 
Um, I don't know. There's so many things. I mean, I'm at the store now, so I love being here. I love being in the spaces that I create. It's amazing. But I think I love the experience of interaction. And some days I might not like it because I'm tired or groggy, but 99.999999% of the time, um, I love interacting with people. And I do believe, you know, doing my research, I did believe that there was a market for people who wanted to interact with the store and try the clothing on and touch it and feel it and see the colors and be inspired. And I think, you know, inspire not only to buy, but to come back and inspire not only to buy and to come back, but to do their own thing. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what opening ceremony did for me. And they had two incredible locations, um, both that had their own design. It was just cool to see, you know, people come up with a concept that was just out of this world, like in my eyes, unmatched, like unmatched. And I think, I think for me, I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it's funny, I didn't even want e-commerce. Um, you know, it's such a market, and I have it now, of course, and it it is amazing. But I just wanted to be a cool, mysterious brick-and-mortar store. Like, who's that black girl? I don't know. This is nice. Um, let me buy these pants. Like, that's the experience. Um, and, you know, now I have people who know I'm the owner who come sit with me at the table and talk. And it's, it's you know, with six feet distancing. Yeah, yeah, I was now. like, girl. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, overall, um, yeah, I just wanted to give people the experience that, <clears throat> that I didn't often get. And there's some incredible boutiques out there. Um, and I love them all, but I was like, I just want to do it on my own terms, and I just want to create a space that's mine, and I hope people like it, and I hope people resonate with it, and I hope people, um, you know, will come in and want to enjoy it just as much as I do. And I love that, and, and can you just tell me um, what the aesthetics of the space are? Like, what would, how would you describe the overall design principles of the space? It's colorful, it's bright, it's expressive. I have an Alvin Ailey hanging on the wall. Um, he's an incredible inspiration to me. I have Nina Simone right behind me. Um, it's black for sure. And I mean, it's it's open. Like it's it's open. The the doors are open in the summer. There's music blasting, Burna Boy probably. Like it's it's all of it. Like I don't I think I approach it in a way that was like, okay, if I had a seven hundred and seventy square foot closet, how would I design it? And I think that's how I went forward in a way that showcased everything, but also complemented each other as a whole. Yeah. And one thing that I mentioned early on in the interview was how good you are with branding yourself and that, you know, um, trickling down to uh, your business. And can you just speak to how important it is as a, as a Black female founder to you know, brand yourself in a way that people can get to know you. Like you mentioned to me before, and I think you also mentioned on the podcast that you respond to every DM. Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> funny story. I used to hate posting my face on Instagram. I was like, this is whack. Like, dude, if you need to see me, you will see me. I'm going to use this as a way to kind of show what I like. So I posted like a lot of Tumblr-y type of stuff. Um, and 
then for the store, I was like, I'm going to take the same approach. Of course, like, you know, post the product in a, in a chic, cool way. But people really don't need to know it's by me. Like, people really don't need to know that. Like, come to the store and figure it out. Like, you know, talk to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I own the store. Like, um, but when we went into a pandemic, <laughs> I couldn't introduce people to the store because we had to be home. So, and I had all this merchandise and all this inventory. So I was like, I need to figure out a way to sell it. And I was like, I don't have any models. I was like, oh crap, but this stuff does fit me. So I just put it on. Um, and I started taking pictures and they were ended up being like what different media outlets wanted to use. It was always like, can we use this photo of you from your Instagram? I'm like, oh my God, like there's so many other photos, but fine. Um, so I just kind of saw what people gravitated towards. Um, I'm not going to lie when I, you know, during the pandemic and even now when I, um, post myself in something, it does sell, um, <laughs> probably like either that day or the next day. It's, it's actually a running joke I have with my fiance. He's like, okay, so these fancy to sell, when are you going to put them on and uh, take a picture? I was like, Meh. he's like, all right, do you want to sell it or do you not? So um i started realizing like you know how much how important it is for people to see you rep your brand and see you support what it is you want other people to support um and i did that at the start of quarantine and i had maybe like four thousand followers last march and now we're at 10 and I, i've seen platforms go quicker but and i still should post more but it's important for people to relate to a brand, especially now because we are at home majority of the time. And so a lot of self-discovery happens digitally, not necessarily from like scrolling the streets of New York or wherever you live. Um, you know, I do have a social background and I knew all this stuff. I just wanted to prove it wrong. It ended up proving me wrong, which is really funny. So, so I was like, oh, damn it. Now I see why I was telling all these clients that they need to put their face on the thingy because now I have to do it. So it's funny. But, um, and I will say with social, especially my personal social. So the story is different because I'm selling a product. But personally, I do do a good job of still remaining very private while showing who it is I am. Um, and I give small peeks. So I wouldn't say that someone can look at my Instagram and go, oh, I know her. Mm-hmm. They can look at it and go, oh, I know what she likes. I know what color she gravitates towards. I know kind of her humor. I think, I think there's, uh, it's a double-edged sword because you obviously want to encourage people to have a brand, to show themselves, and to promote their product. But you also don't want to bring someone out of their comfort zone. So I do encourage people to do what makes them feel comfortable. Like I can be like, hey, it works for me if I post once a week. Um, I do stories probably all the time about random crap that I'm doing. And um, I also respond to every single DM. That works for me. That mm-hmm. might not work for someone else. It's, I think it's just important to give people a little insight into who you are. That's yeah. all. My final question is, what do you hope to see TA New York develop into in the future? Ah, oh, that's a good question. I'm excited to, for the world to open it up in a safe way because I, you know, this was supposed to be a community-driven space as well. I want to work with young girls and I want to have them come in. I want to do a program where that young girls select the full buy one season you know what i mean like ta and girls inc maybe who knows but um i definitely want it to be a community driven place i definitely am looking forward to expanding i'm definitely looking forward to someone calling me and saying they would like to invest so if you are listening honey please um call us both please just loop us in the call (laughs) we can give you a whole 
Great. Real quick, and we need to just divide it. Um, but yeah, I think I think expansion for sure. Community. I want to be more active in the community. What you really in the way I want to be, I can't be because we're closed. Um, of course, there's ways to do it digitally, but since I am still very new, I think it's important to get people a face to face or at least a mask to mask or something before I start digitally, you know, giving back, quote unquote. Um, and I also just want to remain steady. Like I just, it's a lot happening. So if I just, I want to stay the course that I'm on, whatever that course is that God has for me, I just want to stay on it and be open to new opportunities and open to new ways of growth. Um, but if I were to like stay to community and yeah, community for sure. And expansion. Like I want to store in LA, maybe 2023, <laughs> but I definitely, um, want to grow and to have more stores stores that don't even look like this stores that just all have their own unique identity that's that's what i want thank you for listening to the second episode of this season of our folklore i hope you enjoyed my conversation with telsha owner and founder of ta new york Visit shop-ta to shop or stop by the store, mask on of course, when you're in the meatpacking district to check out the brick and mortar space in person, and maybe sing some Jazz and Sullivan songs with Telsha herself. Follow her on Instagram at Telsha Anderson to see her modeling skills, and while you're at it, follow your host Amira Rasul and The Folklore at The Folklore. Thanks for joining us. Bye. To stay up to date with the Our Folklore podcast, make sure to subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. And check back in every Wednesday for a new episode. To find out more about the people discussed in each episode and to shop styles from Africa and the diaspora's top luxury and emerging designer brands, visit thefolklore.com. Sign up for our email newsletter to receive 10% off of your first order. Also, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Folklore. Again, my name is Amira Rasul, and this is Our Folklore.